We're at the halfway point of a series called Set in Stone. What do we do with the Ten Commandments? And we're going to dive in and get straight to work. Let's review the first five. We've got them all turned around over here before we head to number six. And I think it's important that we say these things out loud so we know that we're talking about. So let's read them together starting at number one. Here we go. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make or worship any idols. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. I've been waiting for commandment number six because the truth is, if we're honest, I'm 0 for 5, all right? Which is not good. Oh, as if you're not 0 for 5 too, right? Okay, so I've been waiting for number six because when we get to number six, you think to yourself, at least I can say that I got that one down, all right? Because if you don't know what number six is, here it is for you, all right? I mean, some of us look at number six. Come on, 10 o'clock. You're going to have to loosen up just a little bit if we're going to work through this one, all right? Everybody's got this deer in the headlights. Look like, where in the world's he going with this? But let's be straight up. You go through the first five. I mean, if I'm going to be honest, there have been times I've replaced God in my life with other things. There have been times when I've made or worshipped idols. I mean, I don't know about your idol. Mine tends to be a small piece of leather that I keep in my back pocket that's filled with paper and plastic. If you don't know what that is, talk to your neighbor. They'll fill you in, okay? So... Um, you know, I, I, there's, there have been times I haven't used the name of God in a way that it should have been used, all right? There have been days I've violated the Sabbath and, you know, and just done my own thing, thinking that the world revolves around me. And as a young person, even as an older person, I haven't always honored my mother and father. So I've been looking forward to number six because you look at number six and go, I got that one. <laughs> I'm one for six, but I'm stoked about at least being one for six, all right? And, and, and the tendency with number six is we're just going to gloss right over top of it. So let's say it out loud. What commandment number six is, you shall not murder. Okay. And I'm just like, big red check mark by that one. We're good. Let's move on to number seven. Maybe not. Because the more I studied and dug into number six, the more I realized how deeply it impacted myself and so many other people in this room. I mean, I started thinking to myself, what if, in fact, I had a conversation with God about this. I said, God, wh what if somebody comes on the weekend and this is their reality? What, what if they have taken another human life? And God reminded me in that moment, in fact, the conversation went something like this. Hey, God, what if someone shows up this week who's actually participated in, in a murder? And God's response was, are we talking about you? Because let's just clear the deck right now. My sin murdered Jesus. And I don't know of another human being that can step out of that category. So before we just jump into everybody else's life, maybe we need to, to take a moment and kind of run through this stuff on our own. You know, some people like to, to take a hold of the sixth commandment. And I thought, you know, there's so many different ways we could go this one just so that we don't have to make it personal for ourselves. I mean, we could kind of go the whole, the whole war route if we wanted to. And we could talk about, you know, everybody's personal stand on pacifism somehow. And we could get all political together. But then we run into the problem that, you know, you read your Old Testament. And what we understand completely is that there were times when God sent his chosen people to eradicate evil. And in that conquest, I mean, let's just shoot straight. People died. And how in the world do you put those things together? I thought, you know, maybe we could keep it not, from not being so personal. We could just turn it into one of those brain 
function sermons and we could all just talk about the fact that we're not supposed to murder. And so when we think murderous thoughts and, and the fact that we all probably have to own a, a big pile of bodies of British Columbians because we see them on the guide and they <laughs> cut us off and drop dead, right? And, you know, we could go that way and that would be easier. And I thought, you know, well, what if we, what if we went over here and, 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 and how many people would be touched if we talked about the tragedy of abortion in this country? And, and, and what would we say to, to women who've had an abortion or guys who've paid for one? And Can I just talk for just a second about that? If you're a young lady who's had an abortion or a man who paid for one, there is forgiveness for the past and hope for the future in Jesus. And he loves you and so do we. Okay? So let's not go the shame route on that one. You know, I have just been toyed, I mean, just pulled back and forth because the more I dug into the one that I thought I could just put a big red check mark before, beside, the, the more God convicted me about how personal this one actually is. For our time today, we need to stick to a very pure definition of murder because I think all of those conversations are worth having. But this one gets a little confusing because a lot of us grew up with versions of the Bible that said, thou shalt not kill. And people took the word kill and they've applied it to all different kinds of areas when truthfully the Bible doesn't go there. We went there, but the Bible doesn't go there. For our time today, we're going to stick to a pure definition of murder, which means the killing of another human being with malice and forethought. I believe the Bible teaches that while all killing is not murder, all murder is killing. And we've got to stay in that little sweet spot, otherwise we're going to end up in lots of different places. By obeying the sixth commandment, we need to make a decision, and the decision is very simple. As one of God's people, our decision is this, that I will revere life because all life comes from God. Okay? People ask me all the time, is Christ the King pro-life? And I say, we have to be. We have to be. But we're not just talking politically. We're talking holistically with the all intending purpose of what that word means. I mean, God loves life. God is the author of life. God is the origin of life and the sustainer of life. God can give life and God can take life away. We sing the song all the time. He gives, he takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's up to him to decide that. And because God is the true source of life, he's saying you're not allowed to take that away in the form of murder because that decision should be left up to God and God alone. And you're not God. And then that, that's where it's got to stay. I mean, if you want to see God's passion for life, look at Deuteronomy chapter 30. This is God talking, and he says this. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you, that I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and so that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land that he swore to give your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. No matter what has happened in your past and how you've looked at life from this day forward, God just drew a line in the sand and says, this is what I want you to do as a follower of Jesus. Choose life. Don't murder. Don't go that direction. Don't even go in, uh, way over there to that part. Stay in the truth that God is life and he wants you to join him there. And so we look at that one. Number six, yes, I've got it. I love life. I choose life. That's good. And then Jesus shows up. 
Matthew chapter 5, and he starts doing this thing, which I just love. Jesus starts stating parts of the law, some of them commandments, some of them outside of it. And then instead of just allowing us to stay at that part, he pushes in a little deeper. If you start reading Matthew chapter 5, it's pretty amazing because he, he states a law about murder that you shouldn't. And then he says, but actually, I'd like to talk to you about your anger. Ah, thought I could skate on this one because everybody got anger to a certain degree, right? He talks about adultery, and then he says, but actually, I'd like to push in a little bit deeper. Let's talk about what happens before adultery. Let's talk about lust levels, okay? He talks about the laws of the Old Testament with regards to divorce, and then he just says, but before we talk about that, can we talk about commitment? Because maybe if we talk about that one, we'll never actually get to the other one. He talks about the laws with regarding oath-taking, you know, I swear this is true. That, and he says, could we just talk about truth first of all? Because maybe we won't even need the oaths if, you, if we all just learn how to just say the truth. He talks about the law of retaliation. He says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, so you can do this get even thing. Before we go, could we just take a moment and talk about forgiveness? He talks about hating your enemy, and then he actually pushes us in another direction and says, I actually want you to love your enemy because that's what I did. I mean, so here it comes, my friends. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus speaking, and the Bible says this. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who's angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin, but anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Okay, let's just stop here and define some terms so what we understand. Raka is a Hebrew or Aramaic expression of contempt. You'd say it if you wanted to, to if you were really, really angry, you'd say it against somebody. And, and basically, if you translate the word, it means empty head. Okay, so let me give you a modern example. You're driving down the road, somebody cuts you off and you go, yeah, you stupid bucket head. That's Raka, okay? Some of you done that, haven't you? Me too, okay, all right? Okay, the Greek word for fool here, a little bit later on, it says you fool. Okay, it comes from the word moros, which we get our English word moron from, all right? All right? Don't say you didn't learn anything in church today. Anyway, so let me translate the verse for you with my translation as best I can. Anybody who says to his brother, hey, buckethead, is answerable to the religious courts. But anyone who says, you moron, will be in danger of the same judgment as someone who's committed murder. I bet when Jesus said that, it got it as quiet as it did in this room right now. What's Jesus saying? Jesus is saying this. Jesus is saying that the same heart that responds in anger has the same root issue as a heart that takes its anger and it results in murder. Jesus is saying that while we like to separate out sin and put people in different categories, well, they're a murderer, they're an adulterer, they're a rapist, and I'm over here. When we like to grade sin, Jesus is saying God doesn't work that way. Jesus doesn't do sin on a curve, okay? It don't work that way. In fact, he just gets really, really specific he says, sin is sin to God. And if you want to keep the sin of murder in check, you better deal with the root of it and the root of its anger. And we can all relate to that one, can't we? I mean, Jesus, now I want us to understand something. Okay, anger's not bad. Jesus got angry. I mean, he got unbelievably angry. He's flipping tables in parts of scripture, all right? 
But he's saying if you allow anger to cross the line into inappropriate expressions, well, that's where sin is going to step in. Jesus doesn't pull any punches here. He locates the root of murder in the heart of an angry man and then states that God's judgment is going to be as swift against the angry guy as it's going to be against the murderer. And they both need forgiveness. And before we just have to go any steps further, can we be completely clear on something? Can a human being be forgiven of murder? Jesus says, yes. I was, right? The Bible makes no bones about it. My sin murdered Jesus. And when I asked him to forgive me, that got covered too. I don't understand it. I'm humbled by it. I haven't got a box for it. And that's what makes it so incredible. That God's grace is big enough to cover that too. So he says all of that. That's just the intro. So don't let me freak you out. But okay, okay, so, all right. He says all of that. And he says, not only give me an example about how close this is going to hit home for you. Even though you think you can just zip on by commandment number six. That's going to make this really personal. He goes on in verse 23. Jesus still talking and says, therefore... If you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. What is Jesus saying? Jesus saying relationally, there's a little bit of murderer in all of us. And we need to learn how to deal with that stuff relationally. And he gives us this relational picture to say this, if you can learn to keep your anger in check with your relationships, it's never going to end up over here in the unthinkable realm with you doing something you never thought you'd do. Okay, how are we going to live this out every single day? Let me give you just a couple of pieces of wisdom that come right out of this text. Number one is this, choose to not respond with inappropriate anger towards your brothers and sisters. Okay, there's times to be angry. You want to be angry at an injustice? Awesome. Just make sure you do more than just get angry. Actually do something about it, okay? There are times when you need to be angry because you see evil being perpetrated in front of you. At that moment, just don't get angry. Actually go and do something about the evil. That's what God is calling us to do, okay? There are times to be angry. But when that anger becomes focused on a brother or sister in Christ, God says you need to react in a different way. In fact, he puts this filter down and the filter includes words like this. Now you just picture yourself, you're just angry at somebody. I mean, you're not just mildly perturbed. You are torqued. Like just, ugh! And God says, I need you to put the filter of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. And let's just be honest. We hear that and we just like, God, are you serious? Because it just seems so foreign, so, so light, so airy. It's just life's all just smiles and butterflies and happy thoughts. And let's just hug and get along. And underneath it's like, I'm going to stick you when I'm hugging you, right? Right? We look at it and say, but it just seems like when I'm angry, that just seems to be such a, a wussy cop out. Let me tell you what it is to respond that way. Love, joy, peace, patience, to respond that way when you're angry, that's not natural. It's unnatural. And the Bible has another word for unnatural in Scripture. It's the word godly. 
Think about Jesus for a second. Of all of the human beings, God the Son and the Son of God, who could have retaliated in anger. He's being murdered. They've nailed him to a cross. They have stuck, I mean, it is bloody and gross. And in the middle of that, when he could have said, oh, my friends, don't make any mistake about that. In that moment, all Jesus would have had to say is, dad, enough. Angelic army right now. No more humans. We're done. These rebellious, stiff-necked punks are finished. We're going to do it again. He could have. Instead, he didn't. He put it through the very filter that he taught us. I mean, just think about this. When he could have been giving us the anger we deserved, what did he say instead? Father, forgive them. They don't have a clue what they're doing. That's unnatural. That's godly. You know, uh, we all make choices how we're going to respond. We can't decide how anybody else is going to respond, but we're going to be held accountable for how we respond. I just thought I'd throw in a little bit of piece of wisdom there because we're tempted when we see these verses about inappropriate anger to, to make a big deal out of some things that we just need to get over. I mean, seriously, some of us, we just, man, everything's an issue to us, right? That's a big deal, and that's a big deal, and that's a big deal. So to all the drama kings and queens and professional victims that are out there, before you just run out this afternoon into the commons and go, I got an issue with you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and come here. I mean, no, all right? Before you go there, here's a little piece of wisdom. The the pastors of Christ the King, we carry this one around with us in a little binder. It goes like this. Keep the big things big, the little things little, and ask God for wisdom every day to know the difference. Can I get a quiet amen to that one? All right. Number two. This scripture teaches us that we need to understand that you can't move ahead spiritually until the relational roadblocks have been removed. I mean, if you're stuck spiritually... I think you need to do a gut check and find out whether or not the reason may be because you have roadblocks between you and other human relationships. I mean, we need to deal with our relational stuff. And I want you to notice something from the text here. I mean, what's the guy doing when he remembers that he has an issue with his brother? He's in the middle of an act of worship. He's doing what we're doing right now. He's making an offering to God and all of a sudden it's like, oh boy, I need to stop and back up here just a little bit. He's in the middle of it. And instead of just going through the motions, he actually decides to pause and do what God has asked him to do. I mean, how different is that than what we do, right? I mean, we're in the parking lot and we're ticked. Somebody heard us and we're ready to go. And we walk in the door and we worship and we put our hands in the air and then we pray together and then Grant rambles on and on for 27 or 28 minutes about whatever rant he has that particular week. And then the bucket comes and we slam our check in the door and we walk out and grab our kids just as angry as we walked in and we say to ourselves, wasn't church nice today? Are you kidding me? Right? I played that game. God says, before you can truly worship, when you know in your heart you have relational work to do, you need to go and get that work done. Okay, here's number three. Verses 23 and 24 tell us how to take the appropriate steps towards reconciliation. Here's the first one. He says, stop. Stop. In the middle of what you're doing, 
back up, get real, tell the truth, own your issue, make sure there actually is an issue and it's not just something you need to just get over and move on beyond, okay? Make sure you're there. Humble yourself. Just stop. Realize that that the universe doesn't revolve around you and all of your little molehills. Is it really a mountain? Do you really need to go? Just stop for a second and think about it. Then he says, go. Go to your brother. Do you notice what Jesus doesn't say? He doesn't say, go to 100 of your closest friends, gather them together in a cause, convince them that that other person is as big of a jerk as you believe that they are, have a committee convened about that particular person and prosecute them in the court of public opinion so that they can be the low driveling dog that you think they are, right? It's not what it says. Scripture says, go to your brother. You walk in a straight line right to that person. I want you to notice something. He's using brother and sister. That means something. He's talking about family. He is not talking about our relationship with people who don't believe the same thing. Different sermon, different topic. He's talking about family, me and you, brothers and sisters. And some of you are like, whoa, 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 whoa. What about getting wise counsel? What if I don't know? What if I can't trust myself to find out whether or not that really is a big enough issue? Shouldn't I go and talk to somebody else? Yes, you should. But with this caution, make sure that that wise counsel session doesn't cross the line into gossip. Because if it crosses into gossip, you haven't got one sin to worry about. Now you got two. Right? He says, stop. And then he says, go to your brother. And then he says, be reconciled. Note that Jesus doesn't say, be right. He says, be reconciled. How many of us have been stuck for years in broken relationships because we crossed our arms and have defaulted to the simple statement, yeah, but I'm right. Jesus doesn't say, be right. He says, be reconciled. Find level ground. Let me speak from my heart as much as I can. I have only found one place in the universe where the ground is level, and that's at the foot of the cross. Where everybody is the same. Go there. Be reconciled. And then finally, he says, then you can worship in freedom. That's the last one there. When all that is done, then you come back and worship because now there's nothing in the way. Let's keep moving. Here's number four. Scripture also tells us to keep short accounts. Don't allow unresolved issues to fester. I mean, I love the immediacy of this scenario. The guy's coming to offer and offering. He's in worship and also it's like, oh no, I need to go make this right with another person. Why is there such an urgency? I'll tell you why from my own experience. It needs to be dealt with right then because you know what happens When you allow an offense to roll around in your brain for a while, what happens to it? It starts picking up speed. It gets a little bit bigger. It gets a little bit uglier. Pretty soon it sends out a root of bitterness that goes deep down into the bottom part of your soul. And you start off angry and pretty soon you're involved in pure unadulterated hatred. And that wound just seems to sit there and it stays open and it bleeds and it begins to fester. And instead of it getting it checked and healing, It gets red and it begins to burn. And if you're not careful with it, it can not only infect your entire body, eventually it can kill you. Two weeks ago, I had a wound on my foot. It's 
been 14 days. Cut the bottom of my foot open. My doctor gave me very clear instructions. Grant, I want you to keep it elevated. I want you to take a pill. Ibuprofen or Vicodin at first. I want you to keep the, the pain in check and the swelling down. I want you to keep it clean. I want you to watch it for signs of infection. You see anything red or weird or stuff coming out of it? I mean, you need to let us know right away. I need you to watch it very, very closely. I need you, and he kept saying it over and over again, keep it clean. Keep it clean. Keep it clean. So I want you to leave the stitches in for 10 to 12 days, even though you probably think you can take them out earlier. Leave them in there for 10 to 12 days, but most of all, keep it clean. Christ the King, when it comes to your relational world, keep it clean. Elevate it through prayer and ask God what you're supposed to do. Take a pill and relax to make sure that your issue is really an issue. Keep an eye on your relational world. Don't let it go unchecked. And the second you see anger, you deal with it right then and there. Even if it means dropping everything you're doing and going exact, doing exactly what God asked you to do. Here's number five. Enjoy the blessing of Romans 12, 18. I love this verse because it gives me no wiggle room whatsoever. It says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, not the offender, not the guy that hurts you, not the person that ticked you off. As far as it depends on you, me, live at peace with everyone. You know, I was actually kind of depressed a little bit when I looked at the first five and went, hoping for number six, go put one in the win column. And the truth is, we can go through every single one of these commandments and end up at the end of the journey feeling unbelievably discouraged because we never quite seem to measure up. My friends, that's the whole point of the law. You don't measure up. You don't measure up. You can't do this on your own. That's why Jesus came to do it for you. That's the gift. And this past week, I was talking about this with my elders. Wednesday morning, we were having this, we were having this, this little time together and I'm, I was talking with the elders and one of the guys, Jim Bailey, God bless his heart, he steps up and he says, I had got the most amazing gift this week. When you're feeling down like you don't make it on the Big Ten, remember this verse. It comes out of Jude. There's only one chapter in Jude, so I just gave you the verses. It's verses 24 and 25, and it says this. Oh, just listen to this. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault, and with great joy to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. I mean, what a gift. That's the amazing hope that we have, that God can keep us off of the slippery slope of anger so we don't end up in that world of the unthinkable. God is our hope. God is our strength. God is our life. God is our forgiveness. And he says, one day, if you'll work with me on this one, one day, I'm going to present you before God the Father and all of the name tags that you've stuck to yourself are all going to dissolve away and I'm going to present you faultless and with great joy. Not because of you, 
but because of Jesus. Can God cover number six? Yes, he can. He has. You can consider the Big Ten challenge there. I know for some of us, we just... We don't like talking about this, especially with people that know us very, very well. My encouragement is, I think the more we talk, the better we're going to be as a church. So I was getting ready to try and figure out how in the world we're going to wrap this one up this week. I actually had three or four different endings to this one, and then, uh, and then God reminded me of what we do at the end of our services. We give back to God our tithes and offerings. And he said, what a great place to apply what I've told you to say. So it's about 10.55. I'm actually already done, but uh, we're not done. Because we're going to live out Matthew 5 right now. And some of you are going to have a moment right now, it's going to be pretty tense because you're going to reach for your back pocket or you're going to reach for your purse and God's going to go, slow down. You have some homework you need to do before we get to that part. I actually talked to our financial department this week. I said, guys, you need to be completely prepared that we may have one of the lowest offerings we've ever had at Christ the King. Because I want you to hear me clearly. Some of you are like talking and saying, did the pastor just say don't give? Yeah, he did. You know why? Because your obedience to Scripture is more important than the financial bottom line of Christ the King Community Church. This is more important. Now I know some of you are like, I wasn't going to give anything anyway. You know, um, we just don't go in a lot of those directions here. And that discussion and how that works in your life, that's between you and the God who gave you everything and owns all your stuff anyway and made you a steward. And someday you're going to answer to him. And when you answer to him about how you've handled that part of your life, I'm not going to be sitting on that committee. So you just leave that between you and him. If you want to have a discussion about that on your way up, man, you have at it. Because Jesus said where your treasure is, there your heart is. Let's just be real, right? If you have some relational work that you know you need to do, you may need to stop right now in the midst of this and go, I'm going to have to hold on to this. I'm going to go do what God has called me to do, and then I'm going to come back. Just so we're clear, the guy in the story ends up back at the altar at some point down the road. Free and clear. If we do this right, husbands and wives who walked in here separately may actually leave together. If we do this right, teenage kids who came alone may actually go home and have a conversation with their mom and their dad. If we do this right, brothers and sisters who've been at odds with each other for years might actually have an opportunity to be healed today in Jesus' name if we're willing to do what God has called us to do. I did it this week. I mean, far be it from me to ask you to do something that I'm not willing to do myself. One of the conversations went really, really well. And a brother that I haven't 
done well with in the last couple of years? Tight. The other one didn't go so good, and we're going to need God's grace to continue to work inside of that one. But you know what? I know that I did what God told me to do. And Jesus said, it's the Old Testament and New Testament, to obey is better than just sacrificing. So whatever it is that God has called you to do today, don't let it end up there. Do it now. In Jesus' name. Do it now. Let's pray together as we close. God, I thank you for this moment pray for open and honest hearts. God, I thank you for forgiveness. This is not an easy one. And God, it would have been so easy. Let's just slip right over top of number six. God, for those of us that have relational work to do, I pray that we would do it today. A phone call, a letter, a conversation face-to-face between brothers, between sisters. God, would you Help this family be a family today. God, for those who are carrying this wound very, very deeply, may they know that Jesus said there's forgiveness for the past, hope for the future. That even this can be covered. God, you covered it for me. And I was so humbled by that this week. So God, for my brothers and my sisters, as we leave this place, I pray the spirit of wisdom over them. God, I pray that they would be wise in their interactions. God, if they just need to get over something, help them to get over it. Jesus, I pray that you would allow the conversations to be seasoned with salt and always full of grace. God, help us to to put our hands down, not be defensive. Just talk it through. I pray that out of this, freedom would come. And I pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.